0: Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen O'Sullivan and I am the host of this show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders and experts in the field of leadership of self and others, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past potential fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. We want you to be you, to be at your best and to show up in the most authentic way. So, are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Hello, hello everybody. I hope you are doing well and that you have had a fantastic week we can so far. Today, I'm going to be talking to a wonderful guest with the name Des Rock. I mean, you cannot invent this name, right? About a variety of topics, actually. But first of all, I would like to ask you, have you ever found yourself in a place where you felt you consistently had to change the way you are in order to fit in? where you might have been nervous and worried about how you present yourself, how you should be with certain people, and so on and so forth. Well, from my perspective, there is a certain element in business that's needed yeah, in order to influence others, in order to communicate impactfully. Um, it's important to think about how am I going to present myself? What am I going to say? What's the impact, most importantly, that I would like to have on other people? When I met Des for the first time for our pre-conversation, I saw her picture on Zoom and it looked like, I, I would describe it like a real tough cookie. And I highlighted the picture and I said, man, that is quite an impressive picture. And she said, well, I've got to come across very strong, convincing and tough to a certain extent because I work a lot with investors and with customers that I need to get on board, that I I need to trust me and I need to make sure that they see they are someone who is secure in themselves uh, and who can indeed move things forward with influence, with impact. And we had a long, long conversation about it. And I became more and more curious about this fine line between being truly yourself and Bending yourself too much out of shape where you feel, this is not me anymore. And we ended up in a fantastic conversation about why all of these different facets of this are her. And why she feels, okay, there are just different kinds of me that I might need to step into from time to time, depending on the person I'm interacting with or the group I'm interacting with. So that led us to this conversation that we are having today. And we are not only going to be talking about when to be ourselves, how to be ourselves, and when we notice, okay, now I'm bending too much out of shape. There are so many other topics we are touching upon. How to take people with us, for example, our employees. How to make sure we show that we truly care. Because people stay for more than the salary. This is a short-term incentive. There is so much more that's required that people remain loyal. And this has a wonderful view and perspective on how to get teams to remain loyal and to build loyalty as a leader. But she gives us some beautiful insights into her own life, where she grew up, how she grew up and how that has shaped the way she leads herself and others today. So it's a curious dialogue that I can present to you here today with a leader who is really authentic, who has convictions and who loves to share and offer her knowledge uh, to the people around her. So that's why we are sharing this, those insights with you today uh, because this is an inspirational, honest, open and truly authentic leader. All right. I'm going to see you on the other side in a moment. Enjoy the conversation. Hello and welcome. Des, how are you doing today? Good. Thank you. How are you? I am very, very well. It's been a manic week. I think quite similar for you. I'm happy it's Friday, but at the same time, I love finishing the day with this conversation.
1: Oh, yeah, I was actually looking forward to it too, actually, for the exact same reasons. a great uh, well, You and I have always seem to have a very good conversation, so looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, and a yeah. conversation that goes on and on and on. So just for the listeners, we were planning to have a conversation the other day, mm. and we both said, oh, actually, we are quite a bit knackered and need sleep, basically. So mm. prioritizing our well-being as well and being able to show up here in the best possible way as well. That's right. And we ended up still chatting for over 90 minutes. That's true. That's true. When I looked at the time, I thought,
1: wow, for so- that was a very long way of saying I'm really tired. I don't want to do a podcast today for 90 minutes. <laughs> but I suppose that goes to the fact that you and I uh, clearly bond and clearly get along really well and have things to discuss as well. So there's that. And it's rare, I don't know for you, but it's rare to find yourself um, uh, with somebody in which you're willingly wanting to do that. So it's not an obligation, but you're willingly want to spend time with that. So that's that's exactly what happened there. yeah.
0: Yeah. So first of all, thank you so much. You are absolutely right. Yeah? it's it is rare. and I have mm. the feeling the older I get, it sounds like I'm I'm 90 now. No, that's not the case. But the older I get, the more I'm realizing that mm. that it's rare. And to really appreciate those kind of connections as yes,
1: well.
0: Yes, definitely. We're going to dive into this topic a little bit more in a moment, but I do have a question that I haven't asked you yet. I wanted okay. to wait for this moment to ask you this question. All right. Drum roll, drum roll. Des Rock is the jazziest name that I've ever heard in my whole life. Okay. Where does it come from?
1: Uh, okay, that's... a. A better question than what you imagine. So Rock is not my last name, not my father's last name. For example, I um, married into a rock and I, I didn't change my name until my children were old enough to say we, <laughs> that I was pressured by them <laughs> to change my name. There's a, why aren't you a rock? Why are you with the rock family? Why aren't you a rock? And, uh, and so, uh, and uh, that's how I changed the last name right? My first name, my actual birth name is not Des at all, um, or even Desiree, which is the shortened my name currently. It is a a Turkish name that was unpronounceable by many people when, when I was raised in Australia. And due to the racism and prejudice I received throughout my whole entire life, I changed it. And what I did was because most Turkish names have meaning, and I kept the meaning of Desiree. So my parents, after so many sons, had a daughter, and Desire was the name that they, you know they had given, or to, to they you know wanting or desi- you know something that was the essence of the name. So I, I kept it. But when I was much younger and I had changed the name, oh. I didn't like. The longer version, I preferred Des. And um, so it's always been Des. So that's the history.
0: Yeah, I think it's just a brilliant name, seriously. It sounds like a rock star right there. Right, right. Oh, well, my daughter, who you know, the one
1: who pressured me into it, so I said to her, will you ever change your name because you pressured me into changing my name, to which she said only if their last name is star, I will hyphenate. So it becomes rock Star, and I <laughs> thought that yeah, 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 because you know she pressured me. So you know, what I'm saying it's like, will you? Whip? Because they're so mm, onto there and she's like, I'll never change my name. I'll never, so you made <laughs> what on earth? You made me change my name. And so it's like, and then she thought about it. Only if he's only if their last name is Star, then I'll hyphenate. And I thought that's that's that shows the wit of her, you know, like that. Yeah,
0: I actually love how they said to you, why aren't you a rock? Yes, that's right. <laughs> and that's the first, right. the first thing I thought to myself was, "My goodness!" Just from those few encounters that I've had with you, you are yeah. the biggest rock that I have experienced in a long, long time.
1: Rock by name and by nature, huh? Yeah, yeah.
0: like full of power. Um, yeah. How does that resonate with you? Do you feel like a strong and it's a good, robust rock?
1: That's look the name. It, there was. I won't go into the personal reasons as well, but the name change and the, and to become a, you know, to have my family as one and to have name that had so much power. So once I thought about it, it was not a difficult, like I didn't sit there on, on principles and say, no, I'm, I'm not going to, I embraced it because my family and I, my husband and I, and uh, we are building something bigger and we are building something together. And that means a lot to me. And for various reasons, um, having a new clean slate was lovely as well. You know what I mean? Like to say, yes, this is who we are. Yeah.
0: From a personality perspective, being the rock, being strong, yeah. for example. What what are moments in your personal or in your professional life that you encounter where you feel I actually don't want to be that rock? I'm happy to all, be a small pebble or something
1: all the time. I think that's a juxtaposition that anybody who's in a leadership position is or naturally does. Like I, I find leadership and or or being you know in control of any situation that I find myself in, it's a natural thing that happens, and that's great. That's fantastic. The the negative part of that is is that everybody expects me to be strong all the time. So I they do not. There's often. When you look up to somebody to say they've got it, they've got it, they've got it, you never anticipate or even consider that they're human. That like the other day, like how tired I was, right? So there's the the weaknesses or whatever. They just you're not allowed to, you're not afforded that because you're always seen as constantly strong. And I think that's quite that's a very uh, common thing for anybody who's looking after. Things you know what I mean? They're the ones who always have to hold it together. They're the always the ones that uh, always very rarely do they get a that chance and a space to be able to say, "Man, this is so tough, right?" They just don't get that opportunity to. But I feel that often, and I get from my nearest and dearest and anybody else, "Go, oh my, but you're so strong, but you're so capable, but you're so whatever." So, and all that does is reiterate that I can never allow. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's no space for me to say well, actually today or whatever, I don't feel that strong at all. I actually don't, you know? So back when that was, you know, when you're saying about as we age, we like to get, you know, things in common. The other thing that happens as, as we mature is that, that I now no longer wait for the validation or everybody else to accept that. I know that I have weak days. I know that I have moments of areas in which I can't do this I don't need anybody else to now say agree with that I know (laughs) I know that so then I I say that and I'll say and then I'll say now well I need this time off or I need that time off so there are days where I'll wake up and I'll say I'm at and I'll you know I speak to my you know you met my EA I'll speak to her and say I'm at 70% today I'm at 70% like I, I normally come in I'm at 100 right like well let's do this I'll come in, I'm at 70, so we'll we'll do whatever it takes. Whatever, And there are days where I'm below 50 and that's when we triage what is the most important things to do and only do that and then I will go away because I know rather than pushing myself through a very, very difficult day when I don't have it in me, the best thing to do is literally pull away, rest, do something else, clear my mind, whatever it is, and then come back and then present. I've tried both ways this way certainly works better, right? So then I now know that when I have moments where I'm not as strong or as not as formidable as I, you know, appear to be constantly, I definitely adjust accordingly, yeah.
0: I have two questions about that. Um, Coming back to the point one that you mentioned, you come across strong, you hold it together, that's how you are being perceived. Every time I talk to you, something resonates with me, because I spoke about that concept earlier on. I actually had a conversation with my coach exactly about that, holding it together, being the mm. strong one, demonstrating that to others. So even when you feel like, oh, I want to be, let's call it weaker, right? It it feels unusual to other people. Yes, and some are really surprised. And that's something that's I've true. experienced last week where I didn't hold it together. And the response was almost like, not quite sure what to do with that now.
1: That's right. Because it's so
0: unusual. That's right. So I get it all the time, all the time.
1: So I'm saying, look, I'm not really sure how I'm going to get out of this. I'm not sure. Like I'm sure I'm I'm displaying doubt, or I'm displaying uncertainty, or I'm just like I'm voicing this, and what I normally hear back is, "You'll sort it out. You always sort it out. Don't worry about it. You'll sort it out." And that may sound like encourage you know what I mean but at the same time if you genuinely are feeling like at the bottom of it and you're thinking wow I could even when I you know how they say it's difficult to ask for help so even when I do ask for help this is the response I'm getting you're fine you're fine you'll sort it out constantly and I don't know what other words to say to say at what point do I say goodness people like what language do I need to use do you need to see me break down to finally understand that you know? And so that can actually happen. So because I know that, so this is why strong people break down. And I was like, oh my god, what happened? Oh, what happened? You know that that shock, right? So that is why I now do my own triage. That is why I have the you know the zero to hundred percent and where I'm at. And it could be a physical thing. It could be a where my mental state is. It could be that uh, it could be my health. Like I tell you, when I'm not feeling well health wise, I can't. I don't know about you, but I don't bring it the way I do when I'm fully well, right? I've just, I cannot. So I will now speak about where I'm sitting and the expectations that we will have for that day because the toughest critic, because I've been taught this, the toughest critic on me is me. So now, you know, for me to take the pressure off and say I'm going to, and there have been days, there've been certain times during illnesses, like when I had COVID, my bad, when I had COVID And I then I had post COVID, you know, the long COVID and recovery for me was a, I suppose this is where this really came out. And it was a really long process. And I sat at around about 15% for weeks. Do you know, like, can you imagine someone who's constantly making decisions and constantly working and my executive functioning just almost turned off? Like it was Awful, to the point where I was frightened whether that would come back or not. And then I had to hide that as well. I had to kind of minimise that because I didn't know. I didn't know. And nobody knew. Like when I had long COVID, by the way, I got COVID in New York in February 2020, so right at the start. So then the long, exactly, so the long COVID was directly after that and everybody, nobody believed us. Like we were the first people to go through with this and nobody was believing us with this long you know, um, uh, the, the, the symptoms that we were having and the, but I'm telling you that my executive functioning just disappeared. It was really difficult for me to make decisions. It was really difficult for me to, to work to the point where I was just like, I'm not sure if I'll ever come back. Now I did, but for a very long time, forget 50%, forget 70%. I was at 15, you know, like I was doing just this much, just like, you know, with a straw, like sip, just taking, oh, like I'm already underwater. With a straw breathing, that's what it was like for a very long time until I could make my way back. And I've never openly talked about this before because I couldn't let anybody know that's where I was. How come? That's a deep question because if we ask our leaders to be human, (laughs) right, then and I don't know if we give them the permission to be. You know, I am nothing but human. I'm not a super person, right? I'm nothing but human. When I'm ill and I'm going through an illness, I am going to, like things are going to happen. Whether it's physical illness, whether it's a emotional issue, because, you know, you could go through emotional t- turmoil in your life and that will drag you down. you know what I'm saying? You break up with somebody, someone breaks your heart, you're yeah. devastated. It affects your performance. So there are certain things that will happen that will affect your performance. Do, I don't know. You tell me, do we allow people to go through that? And when we do, like if you've got people looking up to you and they're following your leadership and they're following your example, how do they cope when they see that you're not okay, right? How does that happen? So you show a front. This is getting back to the topic that we taught. You show yeah. a front. You show what you can show because it's the stability that you can give to whatever you're doing. It doesn't serve, if you're not doing okay, it doesn't serve, do you know, the ripples, you know, like you throw a pebble in and the rip- it doesn't serve your organization or your people any good to dissipate that Uh, uncertainty onto them so then then now all of a sudden they're uncertain because that's what a leader the leader is the one with the you know the flag at the front right like and if they're if you're looking at your person that you're supposed to be leading and they're wavering like they're they're, you're not sure if they're gonna you're sitting there going "Uh oh what does this mean for me so that's why you have a difficulty showing that. You know, you you show them or you you say what you did. I didn't hide, by the way. I said, I'm very ill. I'm not okay. I'm this, that, the other. But to the extent of where I was performing and what all that and where I was, only my absolute inner circle knew that. How bad I was. Yeah.
0: And again, it's, he, you go so deep into a topic that's meaningful that we should be discussing more. But with you, you keep me on my toes. I need to keep up here where I want to go because you mentioned quite a few things that are valuable. If I rewind for a moment to um, the point where you said you assess your percentage throughout yes. the day, you will talk to your EA, focus on the key priorities, and so on, there's usually a moment in life where you literally realize that's how I need to operate. Yes. Right. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to hearing from you. I had moments where I couldn't even think about which level I'm on. I was ignoring it. I was just going, okay, going. Okay, so that's going. a zero. That's All a right? zero. And when you have a zero day, what do you do? What do you do? What I did was, you do? well, at this point of time, I was still running. I was still. And how Getting did that work it. out
1: for you? Yeah,
0: no, no, I was exactly. doing the same thing. And exactly. how did that work out for you? Did that work out well for you? Yes. G- <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine because I had the same result. What you're describing is nothing different to the same result I had, right? So that as a tactic, that as a tool does not work. So now when I'm at zero, because that's what you're describing, like you have nothing in the tank. When I'm at zero, I, that's it. I'm not there that day. There's nothing else I can do, right? That's it. Because uh, there's, you know, because I also know that poor decisions are worse than decisions, right? So I know that I need to be able to do this uh, in a certain way. So I, um, you know, it's rare that I'm there now. I certainly was, by the way, back when, you know, when I described the COVID and all that sort of stuff, the long COVID, definitely, definitely, definitely. Uh, Those days, uh, I haven't had one of those in uh, over a year So since I've been better, not so much. But I also know that if I do, by the way, if I do, like say I wake up next week and I'm at a zero for whatever reason, that's it. Like, I'm sorry, not coming in today. Right. Because I know where I'm at now. The thing is for me, because I'm so driven, I so I'm so results driven that I have to I don't reward myself with days off like that. Do you know what I'm saying? So it is absolutely stopping myself from going into work and completing those tasks because of I the the urge to turn up, the urge to keep going is so strong. So strong. Do you, you know what I'm saying? It's like, but I have to, but I have to. What does this say about me? But I have to, but I have to. So the, never mistake that for oh yay day off you know what I mean like I go do it never <laughs> that's not what's happening in fact most of the day I'm still spending the day feeling incredibly like reassuring myself I needed this I need you know what I mean like I yeah, need- yeah. this, I needed so this is not like, th- yeah so please don't mistake that for look at yeah, of course you can take a day off good for her you know what I mean like what is she bragging about here that's not what's happening in my mind I'm giving myself permission doing it. And then I'm giving myself permission hourly throughout the day too. And then damned if I'm not still checking my phone for an, you know what I mean? Or something or to say, what, how bad is it? Like, what do I need to do? Right. So that's where I'm at. But, you know, in order to engage in, uh, in, I I try and stop myself to say, okay, no, I can't. Because I also know my capacity, what I'm like when I'm sitting at a hundred, like I know my performance is amazing. Like that's, that's, so that's where I aim to be. We're not always there. We're not always there. So it's recognizing that.
0: But but perhaps let me rephrase the question a little bit. What was your hit the wall moment that helped you realize that's what I've got to do? Was it that COVID experience, yeah. which for me yeah. is a hit the wall moment? Yes. It or was, was it anything prior?
1: No, that was. That was because I was close to that was a monumental health crisis for me. Um, And it wasn't, and uh, that wasn't the only near, uh, and I I say near death and I won't go into that because it really was, I came out with PTSD, you know, like I was completely and utterly traumatized in New York. So that was, um, I don't recommend anybody going through Mm. that to get there. And I, even if I advise, say, put this method in and all of this sort of stuff, you, you know, it's a difficult one to employ unless you've you know come to that cliff yourself and realize what you're dealing with you know um because that's always the way you know otherwise we would be able to read all of these self-help books and then we're fine everything that we need to know has already been but that's not the way life works life doesn't matter how many at how, whose advice you listen to unless you go and do that yourself and you live that yourself. That's the only way you're really, really going to. Sometimes, by the way, advice works. Sometimes tips. It's really tips. You know what I mean? Like, oh, that's a great idea. And then you may employ it. You may employ that idea for a month, a week, a day, and then poof, there it goes, right? Yeah. But lessons learned the hard way, they tend to stick. They genuinely tend to stick to think, I agree. okay, yeah. I agree. And then so- you write a book about it and you think you're going to change everyone's life, but you're not because they've not lived it. Yeah,
0: Yeah. absolutely. It can give you some inspiration, but yeah, you have to have your own moments, and it doesn't have to be such a cruel moment, um, or you experienced a near-death situation even. Absolutely not, but you have to literally understand for yourself why it is so crucial to change things. And I too would not recommend your way nor my way that I've spoken a lot about during this podcast. Um, but also the, the COVID story is actually really dear to my heart. I have a friend who still suffers from long COVID, also mm. um, with kids three, and she still can't breathe fully, she can't listen to loud noises for a long mm. period of time. Hence, when you have smaller children, not spending too much time with children, for example, doing yeah it's simple what we would say is ordinary ordinary things such as walking mm-hmm. going for a walk all of these things uh, it's really tough I have yep. a complete shift in the quality of life so yes. i'm delighted to see you here with a lot of energy yeah yeah um, and i'm not sure if you have yeah. fully gotten through it but you've seen yes, it. so that's
1: well. that's definitely part uh, in my past now uh, and I'm t- it took years that was 2020 right so it took years to recover from that and it was only because there was unfortunately a prior experience that was that was another near-death one as well and they compounded because that was also involving my heart and lungs and that's what COVID d- tended to hit so it was back to back I'm fine now though totally fine now yeah so, but all of these experiences, right, like to bring it back, all of these experiences, like every experience gives you opportunity to grow, right? Yeah. Uh, adversity gives opportunity for growth. Only opportunity, you can take it or you can leave it. Exactly. And a lot of people leave it, let's mm-hmm. face it, right? A lot of people leave it. So the opportunity for there for growth has always been present in my life and that is probably the result of why I am the way I am because of all of these things that have happened.
0: So that brings us to the second part of information you shared with us. Yeah, I I just shared with my closest circle about the 15% uh, that I was on and how I was truly feeling.
1: Mm. The
0: wider circle knew I wasn't well, I was of sick, but not those details. Yes. So I'm curious to hear who is this rock, really? Mm. How would you describe yourself when you are your fully authentic
1: self mm. formidable uh the change maker is how i would describe myself uh the person who finds the opportunity and the intention and you know it was my destiny to always become out on top there are certain and i recognize this because there are certain people who've gone through hardships in their lives and it either makes or breaks you you know that so you know there are certain instances that happen in your life and because of these things that's the way they are right there's you know we all have these examples in our lives for me is because of these things i am the way i am and that means that i am i'm completely driven i'm completely um determined to have a leave a legacy and leave a voice. And if you ask what that legacy is, it's not necessarily my work. It's not necessarily my money or anything like that. It is completely surrounded with my family and and what I bring, right? So who I am is basically I'm here to break generational trauma and I'm here to break cycles and I'm here to do the hard work. I know why I'm here. And I also know why, like what, what that will do for the next generations and all that sort of stuff as well. And there had to be a build-up to that prior generations for me to do this work, and I also know that, you know, what's going to come uh, be, behind me as well. There had to be someone who would be capable and strong enough to do this, and I don't think that there are days I don't think I am, but here I am, yeah.
0: So who is coming after you?
1: But the next generation that's what i'm Mm -hmm. talking about my children and their children and all that sort of stuff because um and i'm talking about bigger picture stuff so when i talk Mm -hmm. about generational trauma i'm talking about where we've come from like the line of the history where we've come from what's happened in the families that you know you either pass on lessons or you learn from lessons and generally we pass on lessons that's just the way it goes right so in order to do the real hard work someone has to not only heal themselves but also heal, you know what I mean, and make sure that they don't pass that on to the next generation. I hope you understand what I'm talking about. And this could relate to any aspects, by the way, but that's generally what has to happen. And so it's having the courage to do that, you know, because it's so much easier to just pass, you know, just keep on going the way you are. Whereas I, I'm i here to make sure that I don't pass on the the trauma from the past generations onto the future. That I, uh, you know, I give them the best tools that they can. That doesn't mean I'm going to get it right. That doesn't mean the work's done. That may mean that they will need to continue on and it may be the second and third generation. But change I'm here as a change maker. So I know that as a change maker. So that also fits in my role in everything I do, right? So I'm in situations where I'm the change maker. I talk about this all the time, whether it's my personal life or my company or, or anything that I'm doing, that I see the situation and the ability. And it does speak to who I am in every facet, including the diversity, the neurodiversity that I have, that the ability to see the issue and to be able to work through the issue and to follow through the issue. That's what I'm very, very good at and at the core of me. So that's why it doesn't matter. I don't say when you say, who are you, Des? I don't, there's no labels in there like mother, CEO, all that sort of stuff. Without all of that, you could remove all of that. Still, the essence of me is the change maker. Still, the essence of me is the person who's willing to do the hard work.
0: Now, there are a few points in here. The first one is the following uh, generations can also choose as to whether they want to be change makers or as to whether they don't or as to whether they want to pass on some of the trauma that might trickle through to other generations or not. So they also have options,
1: right? Correct. Yes, there's, I put nothing onto them. I do not ex- have expectations on them, on yeah. what they want. It's not my job. I I learned that as a mother long ago, that I may have given birth to them, but I do not own my children and I have no say in what they're like in their adult life, that I totally let go. They are with me as a vessel, like I'm the vessel for with me. I'm a caretaker, you know, and then at some point they're on their own. And so whatever decision they make, whatever – Path they want to lead, it is not a reflection on me at all, and it is not for me to control. I've let go of that. They need to work their own path, and I, I hundred percent encourage them to do that. You so you know, because it's just like if they're not as, I don't know how you measure success, but if they're not as successful as X Y Z, then I have failed as a parent. I don't, no, nah, none of that. Yeah. I don't believe any of that because I truly believe that's the other thing. There's a few fundamental things, beliefs I have, and I truly believe that there is space for everybody in this world and the job or the whatever that's presenting may not necessarily be valuable in the capitalistic society that we live in, but it's still valuable. So I believe there's room for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's create space for everybody. Yeah, right.
0: now, now I come from a family where drama is being passed on all the time. My husband comes from a family where drama was being passed on as well. Not yeah. necessarily intentionally, but it happened. Yes, There isn't necessarily this awareness. I can only speak for my family now where you actually think about, am I passing this on? And what is it? What are these unhelpful behaviors, thoughts, prejudice, all of what we hold in ourselves, pain, and so on that I am not dealing with. Hmm. And I see that frequently. Let's say that. So I it's rare for me to hear from someone so clearly, mm. A, there is trauma. We talked in the last conversation about what this trauma might be, and uh, I think some of the listeners would love to hear probably a little bit more about it as well. But most importantly, someone who then takes all of that and says, what is basically useful for my children to know, to educate them, to help them understand a bit of context? Mm. Yeah. But where's the fine line between the trauma? Trauma I'm now passing on. So, so, so I think that's fabulous. Any, sorry, but yeah. any insights, advice that you can share of how you got to that point? <laughs> oh, kicking that's, and screaming, kicking so and clear.
1: screaming. No, God, no, 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 no. <laughs> kicking and screaming is how I got there. Goodness, no. I didn't just wake up under a bodhi tree and knew the answers. None I of that. didn't expect that. No, <laughs> no. Lots of mistake, lots of heartbreak, lots of people. I'm, I'm sure I hurt along the way. I'm sure, right? Kicking and screaming is how I got to the level I'm at. That's there's stubborn. If there's one thing you can say about me, I'm incredibly. Stu- I wish I. I'm not a. I'm a stubborn learner. I know that because life has given me the same lesson over and over again until I learned. And when I reflect back, I thought damn it, I am so stubborn. It's taken me this long to learn, right? To finally learn, but you'll find that in your life. If you are seeing the same things over and over, if you're attracting that over, it's because that lesson hasn't been learned and life gives you that opportunity over and over again until you do learn it, until you do learn it. And then you'll recognize this is what this was. And like, I've done that. And I look back and I think, holy, I'm so stubborn. Like I should have got it maybe the second, third, fifth, seventh time. But no, not me. You know. (laughs) Years later, after many, many heartbreak and 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 tears and stuff like that, do I finally learn those lessons? And so how did I get there? Like I said, kicking and screaming is the answer. It wasn't an instinctual thing. So, but once you do understand that, there's a few sessions, there's a few things you go through. You first start, it's almost like a child, like you know, a child is like incredibly self-absorbed you know it's my needs right and so you only think about your needs and so when someone hurts something is hurtful everything is their fault their fault everything you know you blame the world around you and then eventually you need to you need to get past that and then you need to see what you what you and i'm not saying that things aren't their fault but what i'm saying is is that you need to get past that because then you, under- you need to understand your shortfallings because during that picture, your picture perfect. Do you want to say in that mindset, you don't have the flaws. Everyone else does, yeah. right? So you need to evolve past that to say, okay, so what's the next thing? Okay, I've got issues too. And then have the courage to acknowledge them. That's so hard. People will take that stuff to their grave. Like they will just die with, you know what I mean? Rather than deal with it. Right. So then have the courage to see the ugly that, that you bring, right. And see this and to, and, and then to work through it. And I remember when I was actually doing this hard work, it was so difficult. I was having metaphysical, like literally physical reactions to it, you know, like coming at you just, amazing what the body mind connection is you know like the stuff that's in here that no one sees that once you're thinking about like i i I had come out in hives at one stage you know full body like i felt pain all over my body during this process as well almost like a a full body flu you know just the work that was being done that was surprising to me it shouldn't be we're a one connection body but that was surprising that pain could manifest itself so real you know in anyway so once that happens and then you then you work and you heal you go through your healing and as you heal and you heal and heal, you understand that you need to accept everybody for who they are and where they are then that you get to that level and then you reach a difficult level which is accepting yourself <laughs> where who you are and where you are because again the ego tends to put itself on a pedestal outside of everyone else like everyone, but not, not me. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that, those ones apply for everybody else, but not me. So then you need to see. Yeah. So then that's a the hard part too. You know, there's yeah. a reason why we say compassion isn't complete unless it in, includes you. Right. So then to reach, reach that level of understanding within yourself. And then, and this is the part I talk about that often gets the biggest reaction is to, because you've gone through stuff. And you've healed and you've forgiven, and all of that sort of stuff. And then there is a level in which you reach and attain, at which you say you are thankful for everything you've gone through. And that's a really, really difficult one because without going through all of that, you would not have reached the level you've just reached. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So when I talk about that, because a lot of the time people are stuck in anger, for example. Right. So say, for example, I'm giving examples here. Say you've been in an abusive relationship, like you've been abused, and you're completely blaming that person. It's their fault. Their fault. Their fault. And then like, how on earth can I forgive them? What's my problem? You know all that sort of stuff. And then you reach the point, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there's often a point where after forgiveness, there is a different level of and acceptance, there's a different level of thankfulness that you've gone through that process because that has fundamentally changed who you are and without that experience you would not have fundamentally changed if you make it to that level. there. And then here's when I say you have to accept people for who they are in their journey because you'll meet them and they will be anywhere from repeating patterns, you know, there's still that baby stage, you know, to all the way to staying in anger, all the way to I've forgiven them but I don't want to talk about this anymore, right? there's no way i'm going to say oh thanks for that and they will stay at those levels and that's totally okay there's no judgment here i'm not here to grade anybody i'm not here to judge anybody it's not about that at all it is about saying accept people for where you have the, where you meet them and that's it it's not your position to help somebody on their journey right that's their journey accept them for who they are and i'm talking about people in your intimate circle people in your you know what i mean accept them for who you are who they are rather than trying to change them Accept them. That's where they're at. And you can still find a way to love them if you choose to with that.
0: And and from my experience, I'm not saying we have similar experiences here. However, from my experiences going through this, I call it the upward spiral. When you gain more insight, more knowledge, you yeah. take that knowledge with you into the next challenge that you yes. may encounter. I had the sense of increasing ease. And the word yeah. I like to use is liberation. Yes felt really mm. empowering. And mm. it doesn't mean I'm now standing above all. No, you will hit another wall at some point. But you almost have more tools in your toolbox po- mm. um, to a, recognize what's going on there and to deal with it.
1: Yes, And so you'll
0: sometimes still feel rough, but there's a the sense of liberation of, okay, I too can deal with this.
1: Right. And the and moment no
0: you, point, yeah. just, just to finish it, the moment you have that, you can pass that on to others and not in the sense of you need to get there but more in terms of you are more generous about yes. your listening, yes. your being, understanding, Yes, exactly. Full exactly stop.
1: right. Absolutely. I, I, because, you know, peace in mind in here brings peace in mind in everything else. So yeah. once the in-between here is okay, you'll find that everything, and I say that about leadership, the, and people say, what's your biggest tip? The biggest tip is work, in, work on here. If you work on here, clear this, everything else will flow that's the truth. So, uh, you know, like I remember, you know, you, the levels you talk about are so interesting because I remember it's just like okay, so the obvious levels are you know, abuse and all. That. They're they're obvious levels, right? And then it was funny that, you know, once you work through all of these levels and then and then I was hitting another level uh of um Shame that I had hidden within my body and my heart and my soul at such a degree that I didn't recognize it. And when looking back, there was no way I would have been able to even knock on that door, like no way to be able to even acknowledge that if I had not have done the work that I had done prior to get there, because they were all in the way. But there was something else right at the end, right? So, and that was so interesting to me that holy. Molly. And it was stuff. And and I mentioned it at the start of the prog- progress uh, podcast when you said, what was your name? Right. So the fact that like I was hiding in all of that, my identity to the point where I had splintered like Harry Potter splintered, you know, or Voldemort splintered my soul. Yeah. So there was an identity. There was a Turkish identity who had to hide, absolutely hide because nobody wanted her. Right. Right and then there was all these other identities to the point where I changed my name, I whitewashed myself, like everything I did was to do this. And funny enough, funny enough, none of that is good for your soul, right? <laughs> none of that is good for your soul. So when I went through all of the other stuff that life gives you, you know, like the life gives you lemons, you're making lemonade, when we got to the end and I was just like there is something else and even I didn't realise the damage I had done to myself, that the, the at a very young age, I had this imprint of the shame that I was required to unpack. I couldn't even say my name. Do you know what I mean? Like I couldn't even say it. My children didn't even know my birth name. That's how level of shame it was at the start. So that's, uh, by the way, that ain't over there. But when that happened, so when that was finally there, I tell you I felt a visceral completion of who I was finally, like whoop, come back to myself. And that's been amazing. And from there, there is a sense of such inner peace. You know what I mean? Like, wow. That doesn't mean I don't have 15 days and 15% days and bad days and this days and I'm not angry and I'm not that. That's not it. So, you know, when we talk about, you know, clearing your mind, that doesn't mean you're not going to feel emotion. It doesn't mean you are zen 100% of the time. No, not at all. Not at all. That's not the figure (laughs) because life will always happen. You're human. You'll always react, right? But the hard stuff, the stuff that's been blocking you will be removed. And like you said, the tools you gain from them, you start to be able to use over and over again, over and over again, you know?
0: And it's so lovely. You start to recognize some patterns in others. And I'm not going to step in. I mean, I have it in my close circle of friends. And here in my family life as well, I still see anger in certain situations, and it's for me a real relief to handle it better yeah. as well. And anger, I don't mean abuse, by yeah. no means right now. And you can see it. You can therefore be more open, more understanding. Or right. I also I'm far cooler nowadays about taking my time. I'm just focusing on my well-being right now because this person needs time for themselves to figure a few things out, right. and. You approach it with so much more patience mm. and it feels again liberating, really freeing. Yes, because
1: you can afford the patience. And I feel like because you have, you know, psychologically, if there's so much layers going on, your patience withers because you're dealing with so much stress. So all of these things that we're removing gives you and affords you the patience. Now, they're also learned behavior as well. So I now know that I will, uh, there are times that I'll be triggered and I'll go from zero to 10 in anger right and so what do i do with that what do i do with that there's because 0 to 10 there's no room that what do you do you're boom you're going to snap right so i Im- i immediately try and remove myself from the situation i know this right so i immediately try and remove myself oh, i've got a i've got you know i have excuses at the ready i need to do this i need to do that i need to but whatever immediately withdraw because i also know i also know uh, that i'm now riding an emotional wave yeah right? I'm now writing an emotion, uh, reactions based out of emotion are never good no. decisions or reactions. So I wait until that wave subsides and it always does because no one lives at level 10 anger or, or no one lives there, right? So I wait till that comes down and give myself the permission on the time. And sometimes it's hard, like like, you, you know, the hard, I, I'm telling you, the hardest part is giving myself permission to say, all right, we're going to wait. This is really hard. All right. We're going to, and I'm, tri- I'm constantly treated like, oh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, it's just like, no, nope. wait, 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 wait. <sighs> and I have to do things like distracting stuff, you know, like I might game, you know, like uh, whatever, just game uh, PS5, you know, that sort of stuff, game on my computer. I might knit. You can see some knitting behind me. I might do stuff like that. Right. Where it's just you and I both know it's escapism stuff. But I will do it. I'll use it as a tool until I'm calmed down and then re-engage.
0: Today's podcast is sponsored by Inner Professional online training programs. With courses geared specifically for legendary leaders, Inner Professional provides an extraordinary catalog of leadership and professional development programs unlike any online training you've experienced before. Hone your conscious and authentic leadership skills with peer group, networking communities, direct engagement with life experts, and a wealth of compelling, easy-to-engage on-demand content. Learn more at KathleenMerkel.com/innerprofessional. What makes you angry? Because I, I, I was just grinning here, being curious about what I would see and experience if you were on a scale 10 angry. What makes you angry?
1: Injustice is a really big trigger for me. <laughs> injustice. So at the core of it, doesn't matter what the injustice looks like, it's a real big trigger. So that sort of something that I've perceived as not fair or not whatever. So whether, yeah, that, you know, and it could be like, Uh, the the pressure this is that blah blah and at the end it doesn't matter which way you slice and dice it it comes back down to injustice that's one of them Uh, you know with adhd one of the things that is so common within um people who have neurodiversity is uh perceived like uh rejection sensitivity it's a real thing for us so you know a perception of rejection sensitivity will be heightened for me more than it will be for everybody else so that's a real big trigger so if i feel like someone is rejected like you know I can't even give a good example here, but something's happened where I'm feeling rejected and it's a perception more than a reality. Mm -hmm. I will go from what should be like, well, logically this is, um, you know, there's many ways to read this situation, like logic and they don't talk to each other. You know what I'm saying? Like generally they don't anyway, but logic knows what's going on. The logic brain's always there. It's not like it disappears, but this heart Will override everything <laughs> and, and and run to whatever conclusion it wants to run to, and so it's a matter of saying we're going to calm down. the The trigger of sensitivity is a really big one because that one, like it happened to me, it was triggered of a trauma way back from like my childhood, right? So when this had happened, without going into specifics, but it had happened, and I remember feeling out of control, out of control, and the systems that i had put in place all right so i know i need to anchor myself i do that by contacting the one person in my inner circle who is i trust with everything to say i'm feeling out of control right and this is what's happened and i'm telling you right now i'm having a trick right whatever so just because i'm a verbal processor that's the other thing you know if it doesn't come out um it's like a balloon that grows in, and there's only so much you can hold that underwater so that's number one number two like i said absolute withdraw myself. So in that case there, in this particular case, it took me three whole days to calm down. Three days for me to go from that heightened sense to come back into my body and to be ready to say, okay, okay, now we'll listen to logic. And yes. And I don't Punish myself about that. I don't have shame about that. I completely accept that that's what's happening. It may change from three days to three hours if I get really good at it, but it doesn't matter. The point is, is that that I'm recognizing it. I'm having tools around it, and I can do what I need to do because I'll tell you what used to happen before. I used to gung-ho into situations and go nuclear. Can you imagine making a decision or, you know, an action and then reacting and then things go out of control and spin out of control? Now you need damage control because of the actions you've done. So I no longer do that. So I'm really good with three days out of commission.
0: (laughs) I'm really good with that, you know. When when you went gung ho, was that uh, when you were already founding, or after you have founded Sea Monster, or was it in a in a past life?
1: So no, Seamonster um, uh, uh, has been in my life for how many? Like I've been a entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur for a, uh, over twenty years. So what the thing I can speak to is what it's like to run a business, what it's like to lead while you're working out your stuff. And this is where I can fundamentally tell you and tell anybody listening that what's helped improve my leadership more than anything else is working on myself, like working through all of this, managing my tools. And that is what I constantly impart and that is why I impart. Work, You know, like whatever you are what is stopping you. Whatever your hurdle is, it's going to be unique to you. Work on that. Like what book should I read? What tips should I give? And I give none of that. I say, what's your hurdle? Because I guarantee you, whatever's stopping you is you. Work on that. And for everybody, it's different. So that's why I say that. So I know for me, the more I have done this over so 20 years, it's not like I worked it all out and then started a business. Like this is life has happened in the same time. I've also raised children at the same time. I've, you know, the, the marriage, the, everything at the same time. So it's been messy. It's been complicated. It's been, it is what it is. I never got that. I never got the privilege of the Buddha, you know, who who was able to abandon his family to go find enlightenment. He hadn't didn't have a job, didn't have responsibility, didn't have a child to rise, didn't do anything else except that. That's fantastic. He got to do that, but I that ain't anybody's real world. Right? <laughs> it's always messy.
0: Yeah, it surely is. Mm. But you know what's what surprised me? The rejection of sensitivity that you mentioned. And not surprising yeah. in terms of judgment, not at all. But during our last conversation, we were talking about our own experiences, trying to fit into groups, dealing with certain behaviors we actually found rather inappropriate or not okay. And until we realized, actually, maybe this group isn't quite right for me or my voice is kind of lost in this group and really realizing, you know, I need a different crowd of people. And that sounds to me like someone who is also deliberately making choices about what groups i want to belong to which i don't want to belong to and not necessarily fitting in is okay yeah and and i i just wonder how that goes in line or fits with rejection sensitivity
1: so I, you, I've you i wasted, I don't think this is an, an unusual comment to make for any person, but I've wasted a lot of time trying to fit in and trying to be liked by people I don't like, You know, <laughs> you know, yeah. at the core of it. But I put their needs, that's what fitting in is all about. Mm-hmm. It's getting them to like you, never stopping once and giving credence to whether I like them, you know. And that was an awakening moment when I realised, like, I'm not even sure if I like these people, but for some reason I was desperate for them to like me. That's the rejection sensitivity. That's that, you know what I mean? Like you're prioritizing something over that. but really rejection sensitivity is often about perceived rejection too. Right. So, but you know, that is something that if you have the privilege of uh, maturing and aging, you learn eventually that your time is a resource, a finite resource, and that who you spend time with, that's you see that you can speak to anybody in their 70s and they will literally tell you that you know what the the the, they now have quality time with the people that they value more than anyone else this is a common thread that we learn over time and um you cannot impart on a teenager the same lesson you know what i mean like that is just something that has to go through in your 20s You're still trying to fit in. It's maybe it's got to do with identity. You're still trying to fit in 30s. You start, you know, and you start. And by the time you hit your 50s, nah, you're a hell of a lot more fussy about who the hell you're going to be spending your minutes with, you know? Well, I am. I'm not sure. You you know, there's no blanket statement. Maybe some people are really still stuck at that um wanting to be fitted in, you know, wanting to fit in all that sort of stuff. I found a lot of myself, and this is really tied into the neurodiversity, which is also, you know, it's all tied in. I found a lot of myself in a lot of situations I was masking who I was in order to fit in, in order to be accepted, and I never could because you can't pretend you're someone you're not for very long, right? So I never could. So now it's a matter of only being around people who can accept who I feel like who gel, you know what I mean? Like who's, it's a good conversation. But also the other important thing is, is that I'm okay with myself too. I'm totally okay on my own. And I don't know if I could have said that in my 20s. My company, my own company, I welcome. That's the other change. And that's, got, you know, it's all tied in. You see how that's all tied in. That's all tied in with the work that I've done, all that sort of stuff. And now it's all tied in, which is why I say work on what's in here and the rest will flow.
0: It's so fascinating. Um, a few months ago, a year ago, I don't know, I was finding myself in a little bit of an identity crisis. Why well, it started really when I, after I had given birth, I was like, who am I? What's going on here? That will do it, though. Right? That will do it. And I was right in the middle of the pandemic as well. And yes. I was just like, what the heck is going on? Who are you? What have they done to you? Yeah. Whoever they are. And that was a real process. And it felt so uncomfortable, it felt really, really tough. And at some point I started to work with coach again. And I basically came to her in terms of, I always have been someone who was out there, strong networks, loads of people, mingling a connector. And I feel I lost all of this. And to cut a long story short, basically today actually was a conversation where I said, you know what, I had a great conversation with this. And actually, I came to this realization that the best thing at the moment of often single moming because my husband is away, Mm. is that I spend quite a bit of time in my own company and I'm loving it. It's Mm. it's like gold. I feel so amazed by it. I get goosebumps. It's beautiful. Mm. I start to enjoy my own company again. And the second part is I have fewer connections that go really deep, Mm. but those are the ones that literally rock my world. They yeah. have meaningful conversations, literally blind understanding, laughter as well, as well as being able to be vulnerable and all of this nice, juicy stuff. Mm. But I don't need to be everywhere at the same time, if possible, and mingle. And I think that was, again, for me, not just I think, that was, again, for me a moment where it's just that that's that's pretty amazing. Right. But where yeah. did that assumption come from that I need to be exactly this person that I used to oh, be? Right? because i mean the we we we, where do
1: we get any of our um ideals you know what i mean like as a woman you 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 know we've walked around this earth enough to know that you have pressure on you that no one's taught you these rules but you know them right Mm -hmm. because of society no one sat you down and said now listen as a woman blah 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 but you've experienced them, i've experienced that we can come up with a list of stuff that yes this is true this is experiences what happens as a woman right and there's nothing out there that significantly says though those or addresses those things, but we learn them. How do we learn them? Societal expectations that are pushed onto us. Right. And sometimes those societal expectations are exaggerated in our minds as well. Right. So we make them into the bigger issues than what they are. So the need to fit in, that's where that forms into. So we need to act in a certain way. We need to, what happens if we don't ooh, you know, and then you find out nothing happens. <laughs> yeah, Nothing freaking happens. What the hell is going to happen? You know,
0: yeah. so
1: so and so that I don't know doesn't like me. And why am I caring about someone I don't even know's opinion? Why do, you know the logic? We never had the time and the space to sit there and think about why do I care what someone do you know? It's like the you know, the whole man in the mar- arena speech, right? Like, so, you know, the it's what matters is the person in the arena fighting. Their opinion matters. If you're not with me in the arena going through what I'm going through and you're sitting in the balcony watching, I don't give a hoot what your <laughs> opinion is. What your opinion, you're from the side like that, sitting there comfortably and saying, Oh, I could do this, I could do that. Yeah. I'm sure you could, yeah, yeah, yeah. That opinion means nothing to me anymore. Zero. Zero. I will only take advice from those who are also in their arena. And that arena could be anything, but if you're actively in your arena as well damn it. I'll take your advice. But if you're sitting in the cheap seats and you're unwilling to go into discomfort, like that's what you said. You felt it. If you're unwilling to wade into discomfort, you're not my people. Cause I know who that is. That's the person who's going to remain safe, you know, safe.
0: Yeah. The one topic that I keep having on my mind, actually, you kind of started to talk about it today already with your mm-hmm. COVID story, how you got to a stage where you say, you know what? I'm okay with who I am. And, you know, I I really embrace the person I am. And if somebody doesn't like it, that's fine. I do remember the first time I met you and the conversation started with me seeing your profile picture on Zoom. And I said something along the lines of, this picture looks like a really tough cookie. That's right. And we started to have a conversation about why it has to look like it. So The the conversation I'm trying to delve into here is where is the line between being my truest, authentic self, where I feel like, yeah, I'm in flow, I'm at ease, I feel comfortable with myself, and bending ever so slightly out of shape in order to make sure other people are satisfied with my performance and my way of being.
1: Because we are societal animals and we must participate in the society we live in and societal rules and norms differ from where which other society you live in and so you must be cognizant of what's going on around you. Now, it really does depend on what your society values, right? And so uh, I live in a society in which, listen, beauty is praised, let's be honest. And we're agreeing with that. So beauty is praise. Youth is praise, You know, all of these things are value add to a woman, right? These is the things that value add to a, a female. And um, strength is pra- like There are certain aspects as well about if we are having female leaders, what does that look like and what does that, you know, and how is she dressed, how is she presented and all that sort of stuff. So when I'm walking into a room, like, for example, I am never afforded, the uh given the you know i've never afforded the uh knowledge the pre-knowledge that i know what i'm talking about in my industry i have to walk in there and every single time prove that i know what i'm talking about a man doesn't have to do that he might say i am the ceo of a cybersecurity company and they'll be like this guy knows what he's talking about i walk in and say the same thing and i have to prove that i know what i'm talking about that's a difference right and I'm not, I'm not here to solve those problems. I think those problems are a little bit bigger than me. But what I'm saying is I participate in a world where these, is, these are what's happening. So when I have a picture out there that I know that people are making rash judgments and they're judging you on the very first image they see on you, uh, you need to make that impression as best you can. So then they are willing to, the invitation to treat happens and they're willing to engage on other levels as well. So that means that at all times uh, I cannot... It's not that I'm not being myself. I'm showing certain aspects of myself. It's curated and it has to be curated. So at no point, so that strong image is not an image that doesn't exist within me. Of course it does. But can you imagine, like, you know, that's, that's just life. That's the image you need to show. And I think that's normal. You cannot be everything with everybody. Like the way you are with your intimate partner, the vulnerability that happens in that, you can't be like that with your staff. Or that, that's, that's not appropriate. Like that's not the, so you're not the same with everybody. You know, the way you are with your parents or your children, you bring out that different energy in you. You bring out the different side in you. Yes. So that's quite a normal thing to do as well, by the way. So then as in, 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 a working world, in a, in a business world, then of course, I'm going to bring out a different side in me and present that side to me as well, because that's, this is what's required. So that's in it. But of course, there's always compli- uh, complications and layers because I'm a female and because, you know, all of these other layers as, as well. You we can't have this discussion without the intersectionality of everything else that's involved in there. But that is why um, we all curate. We all look at, you know, like how do we look? How do we? It's the analogy of why is it okay to kill a cockroach, but not a butterfly? Right?
0: Well, I kind of understand the analogy but you have to tell me a little bit more about that
1: so because the perception is is the cockroach is ugly yeah right it's dirty it's a pest yes where did you get those analogy like where did you get that from the way it looks the way it behaves right what it crawls and what it does a butterfly is beautiful it's amazing so it gets a pass because of its, do you know what I'm saying? It's like it gets this beautiful, that we don't treat it. And you could change the word butterfly for anything else that we, you know, uh, give to us. Cats, for example, cats and um, and uh, raccoons or anything else. Like one is a pest, one is wonderful. And we choose and pick and choose, and it's literally based on what we've decided is beautiful and gets a pass and what we decided isn't. And you can re- And so this is the way we operate in this world. I didn't make up the rules. I'm just really, really good at understanding and following them, (laughs) right? I didn't make it up. So as we live on that, as we have arbitrary rules about what is okay and what is not okay and what is acceptable. Like, for example, I remember in Australia, we had a politician who was overweight and the issue was, is that he's lazy because he's overweight. That was literally in the media. I'm sure this is an argument that you've heard over and over again, but I Mm -hmm. remember hearing this and thinking his physical appearance has nothing to do with his ability to do his job Mm -hmm. at all, zero. But you couldn't change the shift the needle. This is where I learned this lesson. You couldn't shift the needle in people's perception. Mm -hmm. You just couldn't shift that needle. That's the perception. It didn't matter what this guy did. That's the perception. And why? And I suppose the deeper question, you're asking me, why do I show that, you know, whatever? Why do people think You know, why do people make these decisions and stick to them so readily without making thought?
0: And my question wasn't why you do. Um, It was more about the conversation that came out of uh, my, my initial impression. How do you curate and for what reasons? And it was really valuable to get an insight into when do I curate In which way? Because there was also another part of it, another story you shared, and that was how you are being with your team members. Yes. And I thought that was really heartwarming. And I'm not going to share that with the listeners. You can share that yourself. Okay, you need
1: to give me an idea of which aspect so I can narrow <laughs> yes, into sorry. it really quickly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the moment I thought about it, I'm like, now well, maybe I need to give a hint. Um, you talked about building relationships and what really keeps people loyal. loyal. That's right, that's right.
1: So um, thank you for that lead. Um, you're right. So, you know, the, there's lots of ways in which people lead and the number one way in which people lead is to tell people what to do and demand it and then threaten, you know what I mean, like use a stick to do this. That's not necessarily what I do. I actually believe that loyalty is comes from level of respect, right? So once you have gained respect, then loyalty will easily follow. And this isn't something that I do because, I mean, I, I also believe that loyalty is increasingly well productivity within a workforce as well. So once you have a loyal staff who are believing in you and are trusting you and have all of this, your productivity will go up. So it's all connected. So in order to get that level of connection with somebody in my staff, I will actually ensure that I get to know them and make them feel as comfortable as they are so so that they can feel respected and welcomed and safe and all of that stuff. And this is the difference between, because this is a bigger discussion because we talk about dysfunctionality in workplaces. We talk about toxicity in workplaces and we never have ways in which we, we don't have healthy relationships in which way we deal with it. Now I'm telling you that if we're going to deal with toxicity in relationships, in our workplaces is no different than dealing with toxicity in any other relationship that you have. You can't do it by handing out surveys. How do you feel about your boss? Because you and I both know that person, you work in a HR, you know better than I would. The only answers you're going to get are the safe ones because they're so frightened that they don't want to say anything to compromise their position. So you're as you think you're working on the problem, you're actually contributing to the problem. Does that make sense? Like you're not making uh, it a safer, yeah, totally. you're not making it a safer, more welcoming, welcoming in place. You're actually doing quite the opposite. So before, listen, if you have to ask what's wrong, that's not the way to fix what's wrong. You need to give them the space so that they can you can see what's wrong. You can see you know so, so you can see that sort of stuff. So uh, you know, like I like to make it so my staff, if my staff want to take a day off for any reason, they absolutely can say, listen, I need to day off. Go take it. I don't need a song and dance. I generally what what do I don't need a song and dance? That is with the staff that I have bridged and built trust with. You understand? I know I have their loyalty. I know I have all of this. Go do it. I will actively say, go do it. Absolutely. What do you need? What if what can I do for you? Go for it. Because I also know that the balance in anybody's life for work and life has to be a balance, and there are some things that will tip you over that you need your attention pulled in this direction, right? But I also know that the more I show um, uh, this level of uh, understanding, the more loyal my staff are, and it's and it's nothing else than other than no one else seems you know what I mean. Like this is not the process. This is not the environment in which other people are creating as well, right? So you're getting you're you're dealing with people who in other workplaces are normally used to toxicity they can't say hey listen i need i'm having a bad day i don't necessarily want to tell you why like you do not necessarily need to but i need that time to myself i need a moment to myself i want to go watch a concert i want to do this i want to do that i need something in myself and you have no ability to say that or i just need a day off I need to spend some time with my wife. I need to do You know what I mean? I need to do this. This is what I need. And you can't say this because there's zero understanding that your boss is going to say anything except what the, do you think you are? Like, what do you think this is? Right. You know what I mean? Like, that's just not the corporate culture there. Now, imagine daring to believe that if there is genuine trust and genuine loyalty there, that anytime you say you need time off, and it happens to my senior staff, the people who have been with me that I know if they any of these guys come to me and say, I want to take some time off. I won't even ask. Go, do it. Absolutely do it. Do whatever you need to do, right? Well, and how can I help you? And so for starters, you have to build up to that. And also when I have new staff, I, I'm always undoing corporate culture that they've brought in, you know what I mean, because they come in and I say, how can I help you? All this sort of stuff. And they sit there and they go, this is too good to be. This is not sh- gonna, Yeah, this is not this is not real, this is not real, and then they, they bring in the old behaviour that they've brought in from before. Sometimes it's not a good fit. Sometimes they can't make the change. Other times they do, and it takes a while. And as every relationship does, every you know, coming into a new company is like joining a new family. I hate to say it, but it is like joining a new family. You meet your in-laws for the first time. You're mm-hmm. like, what's going on here? How do they do stuff? What's going on? It's it's very similar, yeah? yeah. Like it's like that. Until you get this land, of, and they might be weird, you're like, I don't know, this is so weird, but, you know, you do what you have to do. And so you disengage. You just, you just do what you need to do and you disengage to protect yourself. There's no difference than people in work. If they're not, they will choose to engage and not engage. They will choose to. And I do not. I resent the fact that I, you know, if I the staff say, you have to work over, you have to do this, you have to do that, don't like that at all, right? But there's been times in my company, because I'm a software company, right? There has been times where we need Product, we need stuff to be done. And my team will go, Well, we're going to we're going to rally around and do this. And so when you have staff that give you this, that is born of loyalty. That is born of something greater than themselves. And in reward, what they get is I work damn hard for them, right? For them to make sure that they're safe. So they're getting everything. And so for their future. And I tell them that too. I'm here for you because you guys are the ones building the company.
0: Yeah, and helping it grow significantly.
1: Correct, and yeah. that's where the reward should go. So that's the fundamental shift in me. And I know that, you know, that is, by the way, that's where it starts. Because most CEOs, they're not, they're in it for themselves and they're investors. And and uh, and uh, this is not, this is not something I want my investors to. See. <laughs> but that's the way it is. But let me tell you, even to them, I would argue that this method brings productivity, and it also brings financial reward. So I'm appealing to their greed as well, right? That is why I've been successful the way I have been because of the method I've employed, yeah.
0: You certainly are, and I loved it when you said if someone is really sick and they stay at home, I'm not calling up my EA and ask her to send flowers. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to give the family a call. I'm going to check in myself. I want to know how they are. And I'm like, oh, oh, that's such a refreshing thing to hear
1: that's right and i have done that like hows everything is everything okay I, that's one of the scenarios that's of course it's happened right and i was just immediately like how can we help and all this sort of stuff and and the issue was never about um yeah so It's practicing what you're preaching as well in every aspect. And because I deeply believe this, it flows very easily for me, right? This is what it flows for me. I don't know what it's like in other corporate cultures. I don't know what it's like because I've always run my own company. I've always done my own thing. I cannot speak to you can speak to the cultures that you've seen. This is the other reason why it's amazing. I have the privilege to do this because I personally have not been indoctrinated with corporate culture. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like I walked in and I said, I want to build it like this. And then had the audacity to go ahead and do that, you know. And I can tell you that that has been like a fundamental reason of why I'm still living and breathing throughout all of the, fight, you know, like all of the economic and turmoils that we're all going through. That right there, that right there. So it has absolutely paid off. So um, again, appealing to the greed of those who need to hear it, right? But at the same time, I don't. Re- that's not my motivation. My motivation is one life. My staff, my me, one life, right? We work together eight hours a day, maybe even longer. It's my responsibility to make sure that their working environment is one that is safe for them, that it's welcoming for them, that they can come to work and feel that uh, they are contributing, that they are acting, that they are you know what I mean, they are value adding. I don't care what what title they carry. That you know that that if they want to be heard the best idea might come from the most unlikely of sources be willing to hear that a lot of that's putting your ego aside right yeah. a lot of that is
0: now one thing you said me uh, you said to me during our first conversation is ah, <sighs> I don't really need to talk too much about neurodiversity again something along those lines. So therefore I kept very very quiet despite the fact that you mentioned it twice. I did. Or three I did not as, right? as I <laughs> but it's hard to explain some of these
1: behaviors without mentioning it, but I appreciate that a lot of people do focus in on the neurodiversity but my story cannot be told without acknowledging the fact that my brain is wired differently, that along with all of the life experiences I've had, my brain is also wired differently. You know, this is just a fact and this is also a result of who I am, period.
0: Now, how does it help you as a CEO of a cybersecurity company and with the people that surround you there?
1: Yeah. It allows me, uh, so being a founder, uh, being a CEO means that you are wearing many hats and putting out many fires almost every day. That can possibly be exhausting for somebody who doesn't thrive. Because remember, ADHD or the my neurodiversity is a dopamine deficiency. So I'm always looking for the something that's exciting in my life, right? So if you've got 15 problems to solve and it's eight o'clock on a Monday morning, you're engaged.
0: <laughs> you're engaged.
1: Right? Wow, everything
0: makes sense.
1: Yes, you're engaged. <laughs> Whereas um most people or other people, there's a reason why a lot of the CEOs are neurodiverse because that's the role that fits them the best. So that's not an uncommon thing. If you really look at that, you'll find that there's a pattern there Uh, because we thrive in those environments. We thrive where other people will absolutely not in like or endure or feel good. Like I can do it, but I hate it. I can do it, but it's exhausting. But for me, it's not. I can do it and I'm not exhausted. I can do it and I can keep going. I can do it and I can still, you know what I mean? That's where I thrive. That's where I'm doing my best decisions. That's when you're saying, how does it help? That's how it helps. Mm -hmm. And that's nothing you can, I can't train you on that. I can't do anything. My brain is wired differently, period. That's it.
0: Yeah. And I could imagine working with hackers. Yes. That might speak to them as well.
1: So you, uh, if you think there's a high level of neurodiversity in CEOs, there's a higher level of neurodiversity in IT. And then within that higher level of neurodiversity in IT, there's a subsection of cybersecurity, which is possibly an even higher level of neurodiversity. <laughs> uh, this is just a fact. This is just a fact. So come speaking to leadership to be able to understand what it takes to bring out the best in people who think differently yeah, rather than trying to pigeonhole them into a traditional corporate culture. That's also key and possibly one of the reasons for the success as well, to be able to unlock that, to see that this doesn't matter, that doesn't matter, this doesn't matter, what matters is is that this person here who's hyper-focusing because that's their nature on this subject, on this solution, you want to clear their way so they can do that. You want to make them feel valuable. You want to make them feel, you know what I mean? You want that so they can go do their work. Yeah. Now, now you're tapping into other people's superpower. Yeah, and yeah. making allowing them to shine. And I think that's a lesson for anybody in because you, if you say, "Oh, but I don't know if maybe we should hire more neurodiverse people," I was like, "Well, for starters, I guarantee you have them. <laughs> I guarantee you do. They're probably just hiding, right?" And so they will say, the, "How do we know? Do we say?" This is such a neurobait thing. Do you say so? We'll just say let us know if you've got neuro. Don't do that. Don't do that either. You know, like (laughs) that's ridiculous. There's got to maybe like the changes that need to be done. The way is the way you need to treat yourself isn't different. I wouldn't treat my staff different based on their brain wiring. It's the same philosophy either way. How do I make work comfortable for you? What is it that you need to make your productivity? better for you like what do you need from this organization what do you need listen to that right listen because genuinely people will tell you now there's a lot of people who won't because they're too afraid if they're bringing old culture in they won't they'll just tell you the answer that they think you want to hear in which case you need to take back. you need to build that bridge of trust so they are comfortable (laughs) in order to tell you that's a different story but once you get there then you need to listen to your staff. yeah
0: and and I loved what you said earlier on about, you know, don't do a service. I actually spoke to someone today who said, no, we don't do employee service. So I'm talking to people individually and I'm like, thank God for that, for yeah. all the reasons you've mentioned. Have those conversations and please right. listen. It's,
1: it, I, liken it to, I liken it to any other relationship. Like I said, if you're running, you know, we all use the quip, of like, oh, you know, like work is not a family. Work is, I actually think, it bloody well is, you're having meaningful long-term relationships with people for a very long time where you're spending time with it, it does become like a pseudo-family. It really, really does. The fact that it's toxic, the fact that it's unhealthy, that's different matter, but it doesn't have to be like that. Right. It really, really doesn't have to be like that. Doesn't mean people can't leave. People leave families all the time. Oh my God. Of course you can leave. Right. And it's a way of doing it. I still have staff who've left who I keep tabs on. How are you going? I hope they, and they wanted to leave. I still wish them the best. How's it going? I hope things are really well for you. Really do. Because again, scarcity isn't my thing. I hope you find what you're looking for. I'm really rooting for you. Like I'm, I'm on your side here. Right. I don't hate them for leaving. That's what what energy is that that I'm bringing? So my point is as though there is a different way that we can think about this or rather, I'm not even theorising, there is a different way in which I'm doing things and this is what I'm here to talk about or parts of what I'm here to talk about, how other people run their companies, none of my bloody business, yeah. genuinely none of my business. Let them do that. If it's not working for them, let them scratch their head and then bring in one professional after another to fix something that's broken constantly. Good. I don't know what to say to that. I, I'm not qualified to speak to that at all.
0: And um, you know what? It sounds it will sound hyper cheesy, but actually the people you still check in with, right, and the relationships you have with them, I do believe that this behavior is gonna to contribute to making businesses overall better. Yes. And how we go about business and how we behave with one another. Even That's if correct. we are have gone to a competitor to a different organization it doesn't matter we can still be human with one another
1: absolutely and i I, absolutely that's what i look to bring at all times listen do not put me on a pedestal i fail i stuff up i make mistakes please i want that in the same breath of everything that i'm saying okay do not put me on a pedestal at all but these are the fundamental beliefs and these are the fundamental things that i I, this is the path in which I am choosing to walk, and yeah, it, it does look different, and it does behave different, and it does is different. And for the longest time, I wondered whether it I would because whether I could do it, you know, like can I get I get away with it? I, and then at the end, I was just like, damn it, my business isn't it? Like it's mine, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll do it the and, way I want to do it. And so now it's, a, it's an ongoing experiment. Please check in in another five years, another whatever years, and let's see where we're at. As we grow, you know, let's see if we can maintain it. Let's see if at some point I had to sell out and I'll speak about that. Let's see, you know, let's see where along the lines, what what's the tipping point? I don't know. I don't know the answers. The older I, you know, when I was in my 20s, I had all the answers. I knew everything. <laughs> the, the older I get, I know nothing and I have none of the answers, <laughs> right? That's the truth. This is the truth. And I'm okay with that. yeah. yeah.
0: And everybody else has some sort of an answer, which is also brilliant. Yeah. You know? And if not, well, you figure it out together. And that also forms a great team. And um, I loved hearing your experiences. And there was so much goodness you've shared with me and all the listeners here today. I truly, truly enjoyed listening, being inspired And learning so much from and with you. So thank you so much, Des, for being here on the show.
1: Thank you for having me. And I do hope it's not our last conversation. Yeah,
0: Absolutely not. No. And I'm already considering when can I invite her again to talk about all these topics (laughs) I have on my list that we haven't touched upon even. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm also curious to hear from all the listeners because there were so many topics from authenticity to creating to um, identity, being okay with yourself, forming some real, authentic, meaningful connections, leading Mm. um, uh, companies into the future. There was so much in it. And I'm very curious to hear from you which topic added most value to you and why, what additional support might you need? Because please get in touch with either of us if you want to learn more, talk through it, hear from this. I don't know. I don't have the answer. That's okay too. But let Mm. us know. Thank you so much all for tuning in and I am going to speak to you again next week. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. Perhaps you have some ideas for additional topics, something that you're truly curious about. Please do leave your review on Apple Podcasts as well. It would mean the world to us. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Take good care. Bye.